you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by fitness coach Tom McPartland. Tom and I had a great discussion today, really diving into the relationship and lifestyle aspects of being a coach and how important these issues are to address with athletes, both the recreational athlete and the competitive elite level athlete. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you can find the information that Tom provides highly valuable. So let's tune in. Tom, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I just got done done working out, so I am good to go for the day now. Excellent. (laughs) So I'm excited to talk with you. You have quite a lot going with you with your online coaching and your programming and the people that you work with. Um, But before we dive into that, I want to get into just how you got into this CrossFit world, how you started on the programming side of it and the coaching side of things. Uh, Well, I guess I've always been a bit of a um, fitness geek, for want of a better better word. Um, I've trained since I was about 12, just chasing my own stuff. And um, uh, I, I joined the police when I left school. Um, and I was a police officer for five years and whilst I was in the police I started to coach part-time at a a CrossFit gym and they did like an internship and went through the basics of how to coach uh, in person and um, from there I really sort of like began to get a much deeper interest in coaching and I, um, I did a couple more courses in particular one with a guy called James Fitzgerald at OPEX um who's deeply in the sort of like crossfit world and um it really opened my eyes to how little i knew at the time and um from there the interest grew i started to take on some individual clients online and um it came to the point where i really needed to choose between focusing on my career as a police officer or starting to actually venture into a different career um because i couldn't give them both 100 percent um so i left the police and set up a gym with two friends um or i should call them business partners i suppose um and that was a it was a crossfit affiliate um based around group classes and um it was really in at the deep end for me a lot of learning um and that was five and a bit years ago now and um in that time i've also been doing a lot of online remote programming for people um for people who want to compete in the sport of fitness um for people who uh, also just want to sort of like look better naked the whole spectrum of of clients awesome let's dive into just the online coaching thing in general i i do online coaching myself and i I know I encounter a lot of people who just are hesitant with the online coaching because they want someone in person. They want, um, they just don't think some as much can be done maybe uh, through internet. So let's kind of get into that first, the feasibility and the benefits of having an online coach versus someone right there next to you. I think it's a really good question. I think, um, and I think people are right to be wary of anything in the fitness industry, but, um, in terms of online coaching, I'm mostly coaching people who they know how to do what they need to do in the gym. So they know how to do a squat. They know how to step onto a box um, or to do a bent over row um, and have some form of training history. And so in that sense, 
a lot of what they need is guidance around the things, some structure in the gym. So actually what to do in the gym, um, some structure around um, coaching on their lifestyle and on their nutrition. And what I'll do to, because also the thing you can't forget about coaching is the relationship side of it and how important that is. And um, actually I think, I'm not going to give a percentage, but it's a very high percentage of what actually a coach provides. I think um, the sets and reps and set, the sets and reps and the tempo and the um, food prescriptions, they're all a smaller part. And actually it's about building that trust. So they're invested in what you're talking to them about and um, building an understanding of them as an individual. I like to use the phrase, um, adaptation currency i believe everyone's got a certain amount of currency of adaptation as in they can only adapt to so much and if you take like um your full-time professional athlete who sleeps nine hours a night has all his food cooked for him or her and um is driven to training trains for two hours in the morning then can go home for a nap and then comes back and trains again um compared to someone who is working 40 to 60 hours a week has two kids, has a partner that works 40 to 60 hours a week, um, struggles to pay their bills on time each month, um, struggles to make the time to actually even get to the gym, maybe has marital problems, maybe has suffered a bereavement, maybe, like I said, struggles to pay their bills. Like The stress that that person is under compared to the professional athlete, they can adapt to very different levels of training. And I think a lot of people get stuck into the more is better side of things and so as a coach even through online it's about building that relationship and also getting an idea of what they can actually adapt to relative to their goals so i'll consult with my clients once a week for 15 minutes each and really that's just a conversation around how they're doing and for some clients it will be a conversation around their training for some clients it will be a conversation around how much they slept last night for some clients it will be a bit more in depth sometimes quite personal stuff and so it's um it often can feel a little bit like counseling because it's it's kind of crossing a divide and everything affects what happens in the gym and i think people forget about that um and that's where like cookie cutter templates will come from where it's like you buy a program offline you follow it for eight weeks well that doesn't take any of your personal in um personal circumstances into account so i think there's always going to be a benefit to have something having someone in person and i guess the ideal would be a facility where you had an individual program to follow and there was a coach there to speak to you um but a lot of people that's not practical for them uh, quite a few of my clients have to train from home. Um, certainly some of the mums that I coach who are full-time mums, they struggle to get to a gym. Um, certainly at this sort of time of year where it's like school holidays and they've got to take into account their kids. Um, and so I think it can actually be really useful for people. And then there's the people who actually really are committed to their training. Hang on, my cat's escaping. <laughs> <laughs> A nightmare um and so there's I, I coach people at the other end of the spectrum who maybe uh, got quite serious athletic goals and they don't really have the right coach around them um to actually speak to um because they can't find a coach locally so it's um it's providing a service for people who maybe 
the, the in-person coaching actually doesn't work for them for whatever reason. Um, it's also often people that I've already got a relationship with as well. And so there's invested trust in it. And so they'll go with me, whether I'm 200 miles away or two miles down the road. Um, so yeah, I think um, there's always going to be pitfalls to everything. Um, I think the traditional model of going to a PT twice a week or three times a week and getting one-to-one sessions for an hour, I personally believe, and this is from my personal experience and from what I've seen with other people, I believe that leads to burnout of coaches. Um, if you think about the finances around it for a coach, unless they're charging very, very high prices, they've got to do a lot of hours on the floor in the gym each day. And each person that comes in, you've got to give your, a bit of yourself to that person. And I think it's unrealistic to see that lasting forever. And I think for the individual, once they know how to do the basics of each movement, they don't really need someone there holding their hand. Um, and so then the coach's role is more based around, like I said earlier, around their lifestyle and trying to persuade them to sleep for eight hours rather than five and trying to persuade them to <laughs> go to bed at 10 rather than midnight and, um, and coaching them on how to deal and mitigate as best they can the stress that they're under in their life so that they can reach the goals they want to um, in the gym. That was a long-winded answer. I like it though. I like <laughs> it. And because you made such a great point that as a coach, yes, you're programming, but I would say 90% of the things that we do is that relationship side, figuring out what's going on with their life in order to actually, you know, help them train to their best potential. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't figure out what stressors are there and what their sleep is and what else has been going on during that day, week, month, then you're doing them a disservice. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and I think so many people look past that. And I think it's one of the biggest issues that I have as a coach is actually getting people like clients to understand the value of that stuff and how important what they do outside of the gym is. And, and I guess for with my athletes, some of them are really bought into that, but some of them are so, some, some like a type personalities can be so focused on the gym and certainly within the world of CrossFit and the sport of fitness, um, the, um, the culture is based around more is better and harder is better. And people are chasing the intensity. Um, they're chasing doing more, doing double days is really sort of like fashionable. Um, and actually for a lot of people, I think less is more, um, because very few people in that sport are actually truly full-time athletes. Um, most, like, it's very hard to make money from that sport, but it's at the same time, it's huge and it's really popular. And, um, a lot of people are holding down jobs and, and normal lives, but trying to chase athletic performance in this sport, which has a lot of different facets. And um, it's hard to fit in what they need to fit in. And people go way overboard with that, I think. So how do you help to combat that with the people that you work with to get them to understand that less is more, that they don't need to be grinding constantly every single day? Um, it's hard. It's really hard. Because the first thing you've got to do is, especially with a brand new person who's coming to you, is earn their trust. and. I think it all starts with a conversation. 
and um, a conversation, asking good questions and ask, and if someone, often people will come to me when they followed a group model or a blog where it's just prescribed to the masses um, or they've had a coach that actually wasn't an individual coach, but was portraying that they were. And um, it's about asking questions and asking the person to really think about what what's going on for them. So if you come to me and it's like, okay, I start to ask some questions about your goals. Okay, well, I want to compete in, in um, a local competition and um, I want this, this and this. Okay, cool. So what are you doing at the moment for that? And then they'll talk about their training history. And I'm like, well, what's holding you back from that? Oh, well, I've had a couple of injuries in the last year. Um, I, uh, like I haven't, I haven't increased my strength in the last 12 months. Things like that where they're in this like rut of training. I'm like, okay, cool. So how did you deal with the injury? Oh, well, I just trained around it, but it's still hurting when I do this and this. I'm like, okay, so have you stopped doing that and that? No, because I need to for this. And it, and it's and so for me, that's building a really good picture of where they're at and building a p- good picture of all the stresses going into the system. And for a lot of them, it's just asking for them to trust me initially at the start and j- just seeing how they feel and having that weekly conversation and getting them to buy into it by basically making them feel better if they'll give me the chance to. Um, for some people, I have to start in a position where I think I'm giving them too much and we have to like meet halfway. And that's another thing is it's, um, the, the, the program and the prescription that I offer and that a coach offers should be based around the individual and what they a mixture of what they need and what they want. And sometimes that means meeting in the middle. And certainly previously I used to be quite dictatorial to, to my clients like, no, you need this because of this, 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 I know better, this, this, this. But sometimes if they're not happy and don't believe in the program, you can't help them just by giving them what you believe they need. And I have to remember as well that it's my perception of what they need. And so I try to be a lot more open-minded in actually giving them some of what they want as well. And, ha- and, and being open to a conversation rather than just shutting them down straight away because human beings are so complex. You know, there's a whole psychology, pardon me, a whole psychology underlying everything that everyone says and someone saying, oh, but I need to train twice a day. That could be because they actually have real bad body image issues and that's eating away at them. And on the surface, they may say that they want to compete, but actually they feel they need to earn their calories or some, something like that. Um, and so that's really hard for me as a coach. That's one of my biggest challenges. Um, and it's just about, I've learned just being patient and not telling people off when I perceive that they've made a mistake. Um, so yeah, and, and understanding the frustration that we, we live in a society in a world where we can get whatever we want straight away pretty much. You can go on Amazon and it can be on your doorstep the next day. <laughs> so when someone comes to me and they're, and they're two or three stone overweight, they want a six pack next week. And they've seen some guy on Instagram who did it and there's pictures to prove it. And this, uh, I guess it's about, I'm the, I'm the same deep down. I, I want, I'm impatient and I have to really hold myself back when I'm looking for my own performance goals and my own training. So um, it's a natural human instinct. Uh, so it's about understanding that and having some empathy for people, I, I think. 
yeah, that instant gratification thing is definitely an issue for everybody, myself included. Like we all want those, those quick, quick fixes. We all want the quick progress and mm. unfortunately we have to put in the work for it. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. You've got to do the hard yards. And, um, a lot of what I talk about is, is what you're doing sustainable. And so, and a lot of people in the fitness industry get caught up in what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. Um, but it's all dependent on the individual. And so saying that everyone needs to go to the gym would be, I would say, dependent on the individual. Now, am I not, I'm not saying that I don't think resistance training can be useful for every single person, but I know that it's maybe not practical for every single person and it may not actually be achievable for every single person right there and then. Someone who comes to me doing no physical exercise and with really poor nutrition habits and really poor lifestyle habits, some of the first things we start to work on is just maybe going for a walk twice a week. Yeah, and don't worry about the, the, uh, the barbells and the dumbbells at the gym and the treadmills. Let's get them outside. Let's get them outside, go in for a walk. Let's get them breathing. Let's get them moving a little bit. And maybe let's just get them having some breakfast. Like once every couple of days, <laughs> just small <laughs> baby steps. And like the, the whole instant gratification thing, people want to go from zero to hero really quickly. And they want to jump on that, right? Okay, I need to fix something. I don't feel good in my body. And so I'm going to change something and I'm going to be all in on this diet. But it's such a big shift for them that they can't sustain it long term. And six weeks later, they're back to where they were. They've lost maybe, I don't know, four or five kilos and they're really happy with that, but then they're back to their old habits. I think the important thing for people is to slowly build in new habits, which are almost imperceptible. And whether that's going to like, as a coach, immediately I hear someone say they get five hours sleep. I'm like, oh no, they need to sleep way more than that. How am I going to get them to sleep three extra hours a night? That's huge. And I have a mini meltdown inside what we need to do is just maybe slowly change the habits around that. So they go to bed at midnight because they're watching TV until half 11. Okay, cool. Well, how about this week? Explain the importance of sleep and circadian rhythm to them. And actually maybe just this week, we turn the telly off 20 minutes earlier and I ask them to set an alarm on their phone and we just try and make that one step. And if they can do that for a week, that's 20 to 30 minutes extra sleep. They're getting a night. That's huge compared to where they were. But compare that to someone who's already sleeping eight hours a night and you see there's a massive difference there. And you know the, the literature and coaches worldwide would be like, oh, well, that person who's sleeping five hours a night, five and a half hours a night now, they're not getting enough. But compared to where they were a week ago or two weeks ago, they've made a huge difference. And so remembering that is really important for clients and coaches, I, I believe. Have you read uh, the book Atomic Habits mm. or heard of it? No, it's really cool. It's, it talks about making these 1% changes in our habits daily. And then over time, just like the compounding effect of interest of money, it just grows drastically. And so it, it, just, bas- it just reinforces that whole thing of just making small little changes one day you know, or one week at a time. And then over the span of a year, you're going to yes. notice huge changes. Yeah, absolutely. And people... People under, oh, there's a great quote out there. Um, is it, 
people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate more, underestimate what they can do in a year. And the changes people can make in a year's time is absolutely huge. But you can't, Rome wasn't built in a day. That's like my favorite saying, it just takes time. And that, that, that progression is gonna be very, very bumpy. It's gonna be, oh yeah, we're making good progress, but then we have a bit of a drop off and then a bit more progress. As long as the general trend is upwards and progress, that's fine. Um, and people have got to be allowed those little mishaps and mistakes. Uh, so, and it's hard as a coach because um, you want everyone to get it perfect all the time. And there's a pressure as well. Like people are paying me this money and I need to get them results. And so it can be frustrating at times. And I, a, a lot of self doubt as a coach creeps in as well. Um, Cause I, I genuinely care about these people. Uh, and I also care about my professional credibility. And so it's, um, it's a really interesting like battle that goes on in the mind sometimes uh, for a coach, for me anyway. Absolutely. No, I get the same thing. I had one a couple of weeks ago that hadn't made the progress that we thought she would. And or that at this point that she, we thought she would. And like, I was beating myself up about it. Cause I'm like, what did I do wrong? How did I fail this? And mm-hmm. so it's so easy as a coach to beat yourself up. But then you have to remember like, they are a human. There's other life factors playing into everything, just like we were talking about. And, and you just really need to dive deeper into what else is going on with that person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's always being willing to, to listen and have a conversation. And I, I, I just think like telling people off, I think a lot of coaches, I really disagree when coaches use exercise as punishment. I see it in like group classes. It's like, Oh, so-and-so's late. Right. 20 burpees. No, what the fuck? You're trying to get people, sorry. You're trying to get people to actually buy into exercise and build good habits around it. And often the reason they were late is that they have stuck at work or they have a mega stressful background. Like I've actually seen a coach do it and someone, I can't remember what she did. She turned around, the, the client turned around and said, actually, and it was some devastating news. I just found out this. And like it just killed the atmosphere and must have been so humiliating to that person. So like telling people off for messing up, I think is just really like a the wrong way to, to deal with things. Absolutely. When you're when you're working with someone, they are dealing with a lot of life stresses, whether it is job, bills, death in the family, whatever how are you having them kind of self-assess day to day in order to like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing today, but probably shouldn't be doing that. Like how do you have them assess how they're feeling and how to adapt their training accordingly? That's a really good question. Um, and annoyingly, I'll give you the annoying answer. It depends on the individual, but, um, it's about education. And I think it's a long-term learning process and taking, when I consult with them, taking a certain instance and helping them learn from that. So let's take an example of um, a client who is a working mum and um, like gets really big highs and lows in their menstrual cycle uh, in terms of how it affects them. And maybe they have a week where they've not slept much due to uh, kiddies um, sort of messing around in the night and they're in a really bad patch with um, how they're doing hormonally 
and they go to the gym and there's just no energy and they grind through it and they feel a bit niggly the next day and then they can't train for the rest of the week and it's about having a conversation there and being like look it's okay when you feel like crap if you physically don't want to go and train having a a self-assessment of like am I making an excuse not to go to the gym or am I actually genuinely too tired and when you're too tired do something easy go for a walk like just for 20 minutes do some yoga do some stretching like um do some meditation do something that is like restorative rather than breaking yourself down and starting to educate them about the types of things that they could be doing on those days um and i think not like seeing seeing missing a gym session as like um being weak or sandbagging on your training that's not the case i think most of the people I work with are pretty motivated um, and most of them will actually go too far to the other extreme and train when they shouldn't. And it's about just helping them to sort of improve their self-talk so that it's less negative when this happens and just accepting that this is life. Um, and the, to steal a phrase from another coach, Luke Lehman, um, least mode, not beast mode is often the best the best um, approach for people and that actually when you're mega stressed out when you're exhausted actually going to the gym is just layering on it's like having another it's like taking away three hours sleep or adding another stressful conversation at work it's just another thing for your body to have to deal with and adapt to Um, and actually you'll get more adaptation if out of your training next week if you just chill the hell out this week or you know, you go to the gym and instead of doing four sets of 10, you do two sets of 10 at a lighter load. And it's so just giving them tools so that they can, maybe they completely leave the gym and they just chill out at home and do some meditation. Um, or maybe they go to the gym and they like, um, they, uh, what's the word? Um, amend the workout that's prescribed to them. Cause you know, the one thing a coach can't be, a coach can't be there to do it for them. And a coach shouldn't. I, I believe in like empowering people to make their own decisions. And so a lot of the clients I've been working with for a long time, they have quite a lot of autonomy within their, their training. Um, and using auto-regulated and self-regulated training where I leave up to them how many sets they should do. Which for a lot of coaches and for me at the beginning was really scary. It's like, oh my God, they're going to kill themselves. But generally people will self-limit if they're smart enough and if there's enough trust and if they're educated enough to make those decisions. Um, So, yeah, I see uh, that as one of the biggest challenges as well. And it's about ongoing education for them. Um, And I think also for people to understand that when we're talking about recovering from stress and mitigating stress, we've got to be careful not to say take away stress because you can't ever take away stress. Everyone has to pay bills. Everyone has to have like, well, you don't have to have relationships, but people generally have relationships, whether that's (laughs) friendships or partnerships. Um, People have family and people have mortgages. They have jobs and all of those things, whether you like it or not, they bring stress into your life at certain times. They also, bring in lots of happiness at certain times as well, hopefully. But when they bring in stress, we can't just say, oh, I don't want this stress. Well, the stress is there. We've got to deal with it. And so you deal with the stress by actively trying to encourage some parasympathetic tone. So for people who aren't sure what that means, it's basically your rest and digest. It's your, oh, chill out and relax. But that doesn't mean sticking on a horror film 
and eating your dinner in front of it till midnight. It actually means taking care of yourself. And so that could be, um, that could be doing some foam rolling. That could be doing some easy stretching. It could be doing some yoga. It could be doing some meditation. It could be going for a walk outside. For different people, it's different things. If you take an elite marathon runner, they could go for an easy 30 minute jog at a very slow pace, and that would be recovery work for them. If you give that to someone who's never done any running before, that's going to cripple them. <laughs> and so, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's about knowing the individual. And if you give, I don't know, an overweight guy who can't get his hands above his head, a really tough yoga session, that's not going to be recovery work for him. But for the yogi who's been practicing for 20 years and has great movement, that's going to be like their happy place. And they're going to use that almost as meditation. So again, for the individual, it, it's different. Yeah. Let's switch directions a little bit and talk about the difference between the normal working person who just needs to move and the athlete. Um, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but like, is it necessary for just the normal person who wants to function in daily life to do full depth squats, to be able to push heavy overhead? Like how are we training or how are you training people differently? What are you looking for with these different individuals? So I think there's a lot of, um, one of the things I hate about the fitness industry, and I don't know if you're the same, and it's the same with the sports, the uh, injury, injury industry, is that a word? Um, we'll go with it. The medical industry or whatever it is. Um, it's so, so black and white and polarized. Everyone is out there, not everyone, but a lot of people out there are pushing their own agendas and that this is how you should train, this is what you should do, and this is wrong. Um, and I, I really believe in like a middle line somewhere is often correct for people. And I, I just don't think that we can put everyone into a box and say that, for example, doing a snatch is functional and therefore everyone should be able to do it. Ideally, yeah, it'd be great if everyone could snatch their body weight. <laughs> Um, and this is coming from like the CrossFit world um, and an agenda that they've promoted with, with good intentions, might I add. I think most people out there are promoting these things for good, with good intentions. Um, but I don't necessarily think that um, someone whose daily function revolves around walking to the shops with some heavy shopping and then picking up their kids and then just wanting to go to the park and be able to run around with their kids, I'm not sure that they really need to be working towards doing a power snatch. Um, now people would argue, oh, well you can scale that um, and they can do, um, they could do a Russian kettlebell swing. Well, maybe they could, but why don't they just do a Russian kettlebell swing instead? Like, why do we need to say we're scaling a snatch? This is just what they're capable of and it's a good prescription for them. Um, I think most people, most normal people, if there is such a thing as a normal person, um, <laughs> normal people need maybe one to two resistance training sessions a week and some light aerobic work a week, depending on their goals. If someone comes to me just saying they want to function better, move better, um, and be as healthy as they can be, 
and be walking up mountains when they're 90 years old chasing their grandkids without needing a Zimmer frame or a wheelchair, I'm going to say that actually chasing performance-related goals and trying to pigeonhole themselves into a certain box isn't going to be the way forward. Now, that person might represent, might present to me with perfect squat mechanics. And if that's the case, then, yeah, cool, let's do some squats. Let's do some loaded squatting. That would be great for their, um, their resilience and their strength. Because resistance training is so important to people's longevity in terms of um, their soft tissue um, resilience and their bones as well. Just being more resilient when they're old. A lot of people come thinking about the here and now, but what about in 40 years time when you're an old man trying to get up the stairs and you fall? If you've got nice strong bones from years of resistance training, you might be that little bit less likely to break your pelvis. And then you might be that less likely to need to be in hospital for six weeks, which is shown in studies to have massive impacts on um, their independence. And that for a lot of old, older people, uh, certainly in the UK, I see that as a pattern of like degeneration to then probably dying earlier than they might have if they hadn't had that fall. Um, and so I guess what we need to be saying more is that more people should be doing more different variations of exercise, but it's got to be dependent on the individual and what they need or what they can do. And that is so different for so many people. And I think people see um, elite athletes and sport as health. And actually it's the opposite of health. It's pushing more towards sickness because I don't think you can call an elite marathon runner or an elite power lifter, the two extremes. I don't think you can call them healthy because they'll be the ones walking around because elite athletes by their very nature have to train through injuries and train through pain very often. Um, and end up with long-term injuries and pain. If you listen to any sort of, certainly contact sport athletes talking um, after they've retired, they'll be telling you that they've got constant chronic pain in different areas of the body. Um, and that's a direct result of um, their athletic endeavors. And that's probably shortened their lives or shortened their functionality and vitality in, in their life. So I think people need to look at things from a different angle. And so for me, it's about working out what is appropriate for the individual. Um, and that might be that their resistance training is doing a plank and some wall sits to start off with. Um, and it might be that it's doing some goblet squats and some bent over rows. Uh, or it might be that they're doing some loaded carries. Um, it, it completely depends on the individual. And I just, I've moved away because I got sucked into that. Oh, everyone's got to do Everyone's got to do snatches and clean and jerks because, hey, that's, um, that's the most functional you can be. And people use the, uh, our ancestors as um, examples. Well, our ancestors weren't doing clean and jerks and snatches. They were actually doing really, really long, slow, easy aerobic work to hunt their prey. And then they were throwing a spear or maybe having a, an intense encounter for a few minutes. Um, and that was it. And I think people get really caught up in hit training and um, certain movements in the gym and they probably don't need to be quite so obsessed over it. Yeah. I think like the thing I like to tell people is it's about, like you said, the longevity, they're being resilient and that, yeah, it might be cool to 
attempt to snatch your body weight now, but are you still going to be able to function when you're 60, 70 years old, or are you going to be broken because of all these other things you did? And yes, if you're an elite athlete, you're being paid for this. Absolutely push yourself because that's your job. But majority of the population, your job is not to be that athlete and you just need to be smart about it. Exactly. And you see it as well. A lot of people saying, oh, well, this is the way you have to squat. You know, you need to have your toes facing forward um, and your need knees need to track in this way. Well, everyone's hips are made up differently. Like, how can you say that what this one size squat pattern fits everyone? And so for some people, it might be that they have to do like a bit more of a sumo stance squat with their toes pointed slightly out and they do it to a box. And that's fine. Uh, like, it's just, um, it's finding what works for the individual and, um, and applying that appropriately. Absolutely. When you're, I'm curious as far as when you're working with people, because I know I really like doing a lot of single leg, single limb things in order to really make sure a stronger side isn't compensating for another, for a weaker side. Do you do a lot of single leg, single arms things? Or are you most, are you a lot very bilateral? No, yeah, I love a bit of unilateral work. Um, I think for everyone it's important, actually. Um, I think at the uh, general population end of the scale, of the spectrum, I think um, very little of what we actually, well, actually this applies to everyone, very little of what we actually have to do in life. If we're talking about functionality and we're trying to be as functional as possible, um, very little of what we have to do in life is one is, um, is balanced. Uh, people talk about like, oh, you need to learn to deadlift because when you pick up that heavy box and when you're moving house or when you pick up your shopping bags, you need to learn how to do it. Well, very rarely is that a nice straight barbell with plates that are evenly loaded and in your training shoes and you take your time to set up and brace. I think the reality is that we're picking up boxes that are full to the brim and we're trying to climb over children or animals and load it into the lorry and we're twisting and rotating. We've got one leg higher than the other. And so I think um, building some resilience around being able to do that stuff is really important for functionality. And I think left to right imbalances, um, I don't swear and die by them, but I think it, we always want to be looking towards having some sort of balance left to right. If you've got a real big weakness and your right side's much stronger than your left, and we are going to do some bilateral stuff further down the line, then um, maybe we want to address that first. Um, so it's, um, yeah, definitely, I think it's really useful. Um, I think the ability to stabilize whilst one side of the body is doing some work is really useful. Um, in terms of the more athletic end of the population, people who have got competitive goals, I think in terms of team sports, it's so important because you're so rarely in that, that linear direction. Everything's happening in a 3D world, um, especially the contact sports. Uh, people who like want to run in a sport or running's a sport, like it's basically lots of single leg hops. So yeah, we need to be pretty strong um, unilaterally. So yeah, I think it's really useful and really important for a lot of people. Um, and I'd, I think you'd struggle to find a coach that would argue with that. The only people where it's not going to be used as much is people whose sport is bilateral. So weightlifters and powerlifters are the ones that come to mind. Um, 
But even then you can address some imbalances that might be holding back their bilateral work using some unilateral work potentially. So yeah, I think it's really important tool for the coach and most people should be doing it. And throughout that explanation, you brought up another great point, which is, especially in the CrossFit world, so much that we do is just a straight plane and we don't get into that rotation. And when we're talking about our day-to-day function, there is so much rotation that goes on. There's so much different abnormal movements that we ultimately do need to train those movements. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think um, adding in some rotational work um, and unilateral work is going to be so important. And you see, um, with if we're talking about CrossFit specifically, a couple of years ago, they introduced the dumbbells into the open and it messed up a lot of people because people were just doing squats, back squats and deadlifts and thrusters and wall balls and pull-ups. And suddenly they were asked to lunge with this dumbbell overhead and they're like in this rotated position. And um, I think uh, it's now become a bit more three-dimensional, the sport. And so it is something people have to train. Um, but it's something you've got to train, I think, if you want to have good function as a human as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to kind of start closing things out, let's, I kind of just want you to, for someone who wants to start training, is kind of hesitant, not really sure what to do or where to even look, what are some kind of just three tips you can give them to start getting themselves healthy again? Okay. Um... Well, I like to think of there being three aspects to training, uh, to not to training, to, to progression, really, adaptation. Uh, I've got a nice, nice little triangle diagram on my Instagram. It's um, uh, movement, lifestyle, and nourishment. And they're the three aspects you have to address to really start making some progress towards whatever goal you've got. But let's talk about the person you mentioned, which is just tr- starting to get back into training and be healthier again. Movement just try and move a bit more in your day-to-day life. Maybe that's like in the morning, getting up and going for a nice walk. Maybe it's getting on your bike. Maybe it's going swimming. Um, something maybe that you know you can do competently. Uh, I would avoid going and diving into some highly intense activity. If you're going from nothing to that, I would start thinking about building it up slowly. Um, that's what I do for movement. I think if, if it's someone who wants to get into some resistance training, I'd recommend that. And I would just suggest if they've not done it before to get some form of coaching on it. Um, and so that's movement in terms of nutrition. That's a real deep rabbit hole to dive down. First thing, chew your food properly. I think a lot of people skip basics like sitting down in a relaxed environment to eat their meal properly. And so you can eat all the good stuff you want and all the carbs and fats and proteins in the perfect ratios. But if you're rushing it down between clients or you're racing out of the door to pick the kids up, you're not going to, you're not going to assimilate and digest anywhere near enough of that. And it's actually going to cause you dysfunction in your gut and your stomach and digestive system. Um, And, I think that's probably the one thing you could really focus on with your food. Um, that and good food hygiene, which would just be like taking the time to cook food from scratch. It like starts the whole process off. It's going to be much easier to eat good food like that. Um, it's a bit meditative in its nature. It's an enjoyable process if you can sort of get lost in it. 
Um, I love cooking when I can just put like the radio on and listen to um, something I like in terms of music or a good podcast, something that interests me just in the background. Um, and then in terms of lifestyle, I think what we've talked around, talked about around dealing with your stress is going to make a massive, massive difference. Start some restorative practice, whether that's some form of meditation or yoga or um, just something that's really easy, like movement practice. So movement and lifestyle could be addressed in the same, same thing. Um, but also as well, looking at sleep patterns. I think circadian rhythm is not something we've discussed today, but it's so important to try and let the rise and fall of the sun dictate your sleep and wake patterns um, and to be consistent in that. And so trying to find a half hour gap every morning that you're waking up at, even if that means you don't get lions. I think social jet lag is something that's massively overlooked where people get up at 6am Monday to Friday and go to bed at 10 p.m. Monday to Friday. But then at weekends, it's like in bed at 2 a.m. and waking up at 2 p.m. or something. And that can really mess people up. It's like changing time zones at the weekend. Um, so trying to build consistency and rhythm is really important for humans, I believe. So there are a few long-winded tips for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of want to use those same concepts and take it to the injured athlete, someone coming off of injury, how to progress back safely? Good question. Um, I think don't forget that you've been injured for a period of time and you will have lost some capacity in some form. So you can't just pick up where you left off. I think don't see an end to the rehab rehabilitation process. Even if you're completely pain-free and have regained full function in your injured limb, let's say, you've got to still assume that you're starting again, basically. Um, so if you um, were in the middle of a great cycle of training, you're doing really good. You need to like go back a bit before that and start at that sort of point. I think too many people jump straight back in. I think if your injury has forced you to do less volume of training, you need to start slowly. Again, don't jump back into the same volume or intensity that you were at before. Um, and lastly, listen to your therapist. I like Be it. Patient. Be patient. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Well, if someone wants to follow you or reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, they can follow me two places on Instagram, the athlete system, um, or just Tom McPartland, which is spelled M C P A R T L A N. Um, I welcome uh, conversations. If people want to challenge what I'm saying or putting out there or question it, definitely get in touch. Um, and uh, if anyone's interested in one-to-one -one coaching, also get in touch. They can contact me at Tom underscore McPartland at hotmail.co.uk. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.